Live from historic downtown Carlisle, Pennsylvania, home of founding father James Wilson, 19th century hymn writer George Duffield, 19th century gospel minister George Norcross, and sports legend Jim Thorpe. It's Iron Sharpens Iron. This is a radio platform in which pastors, Christian scholars, and theologians address the burning issues facing the church and the world today. Proverbs chapter 27 verse 17 tells us iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Matthew Henry said that in this passage, we are cautioned to take heed with whom we converse and directed to have in view in conversation to make one another wiser and better. It is our hope that this goal will be accomplished over the next two hours, and we hope to hear from you, the listener, with your own questions. And now, here's your host, Chris Arnson. Good afternoon, Cumberland County, Pennsylvania, Lake City, Florida, and the rest of humanity living on the planet Earth. We're listening via live streaming at Iron Sharpens Iron radio.com this is chris arnson your host of iron sharpens iron radio wishing you all a happy wednesday on this 28th day of february 2024 i'm thrilled to have a returning guest who is going to be addressing part two of a topic uh, that we launched into uh recently i believe it was last month and uh or middle of the month somewhere and uh we uh, had so much information that we had to share the first time that we had to extend this to a two-part interview. Uh, I am speaking of my guest, Marcus Servan, pastor of Christian Discipleship at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Austin, Texas, which is a congregation within the Presbyterian Church in America, also known as the PCA. And today uh, we're going to be addressing part two of John Calvin and the role of pastor. It's my honor and privilege to welcome you back to Iron Trump and Zion Radio, Marcus Servan. Thanks a lot, Chris. Great to be here. Well, why don't you tell our listeners, uh, for the sake of those especially who missed our first interview, uh, tell our listeners about uh, Redeemer Presbyterian Church of Austin, Texas, and then also tell our listeners about the Genevan Foundation. Yeah, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Austin. Um, I came here about seven years ago to Austin after a uh, long career in pastoral ministry, and my plan was to retire and to uh, do what Calvin wanted to do, which was to write and disciple and do those kind of things. And as I volunteered uh, in service and teaching at Redeemer, then uh, in pretty short order, the elders asked me to come out of retirement and to begin serving the church again, but this time just uh, part-time. And that's been uh, really wonderful. It's uh, a rich church in terms of uh, liturgy, love of music, preaching of the word, a church of about 500 members. So it is a downtown church. And we have all the complications of uh, ministering to people in very liberal, progressive Austin, Texas. Uh, But the church, I believe, is a good light shining on the hill in proclaiming the gospel, holding to the inerrancy of the scriptures, and also preaching and exalting the Reformed faith. 
So uh, I'm very glad to be of service there. Well, praise God. And uh, if anybody is either traveling through Austin, Texas, or if you live in Austin, Texas, or you have family, friends, and loved ones in Austin, Texas, uh, you can go to the website to find out more about Redeemer Presbyterian Church there in Austin at RedeemerPres.org, RedeemerPres.org. Now tell us about the Genevan Foundation. Sure. Uh, probably uh, 20 years ago, my family, we have a large family, nine adult children now, and uh, lots of grandkids coming our way, which is a great blessing. Um but we started singing the Psalms together, and so we started a little website where we offered the Psalms that we were singing and put on CDs and so forth. Well, as the kids have grown, and now they're all grown up, I took over that website and turned in it into a place for putting my writings on church history, especially writings about the Reformation and the the name, the Genevan Foundation, just simply symbolizes the fact that so much of what we believe and practice and in the Protestant church today comes from the example of the church in Geneva, which was headed up by John Calvin. And so uh, there I've written lots of articles on different reformers, different figures in American church history, and then a number of theological articles. Just recently, we launched a, a new endeavor at Redeemer Presbyterian called the Redeemer Theological Academy. The elders very kindly appointed me the director of that, and so we are offering classes now, uh, in-person classes, not online or anything like that, but in-person classes in theology, in church history, apologetics, biblical studies, and practical ministry. Those are the five areas. So. Here we are in retirement, but still staying very, very busy. Well, praise God. And if anybody wants to find out more about the Genevan Foundation, go to thegenevanfoundation.com, thegenevanfoundation.com. I also encourage everybody listening, after this live program is over, if you missed part one of our discussion on John Calvin and the role of pastor, and we never actually got into the specific aspect of Calvin as a pastor. Uh, we were talking about uh, Marcus's own personal salvation testimony and some background information about Calvin that was very important, uh, but we uh, never got into the depth of his role of pastor, which is our theme, our main theme, I should say. But you could go into the Iron Sharpens Iron Radio archive, ironsharpensironradio.com, Type in the name Servan, S-E-R, V as in Victor, E-N, Servan, and that interview on January 29th of 2024 will come up. And that was part one of this discussion. So uh, bring us uh, back uh, to where you want to pick up the conversation. Uh, Marcus, if you want to give an overview of anything that we discussed in our first part of this discussion, you can do that or just begin the conversation wherever you want. Well, there's so much to say about John Calvin. I've been studying his life and ministry for over 40 years and collecting all of his books as well as books about him. 
and had a chance to write a dissertation on Calvin and his role as pastor. And that was a wonderful privilege to do so. Uh, something I re- remind the listeners about that Calvin's personal motto was the following, Cor muum tibi offero domini prompt et sincere. Yeah, that's the tattoo I have in my chest. I'm <laughs> only kidding. Ah. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, translated, it is uh, my heart I offer to you, Lord, promptly and sincerely. And so we think about the man, John Calvin, who really only lived uh, about 55 years. He died a few months prior to his 55th birthday, but the immense, indefatigable amount of work that he accomplished, not only in terms of preaching and teaching, but also in the writing of significant books like the Institutes of the Christian Religion, and all the practices that he established in his role as a pastor. For example, in Geneva, in the worship there, you'll find a pattern for worship that has filtered down all the way to this current age in many Reformed and Presbyterian churches of various stripes really have the roots of their worship service in the Genevan order of worship. Beyond that, we see Calvin popularizing what we would call expository preaching. That kind of preaching was pretty well unknown until or uh, prior to the times of Calvin. But we see a hunger in the people of God during the time of the Reformation for expositional teaching from the scriptures, line by line, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and that's exactly what Calvin popularizes and gives to people so that people were like uh, hungry folks who were ravenous for the word of God, and that's one of the things that he did. Another important aspect of Calvin's pastoral ministry is that he brought about the practice of the visitation of elders. The elders in the church in Geneva had the responsibility for overseeing the different families in their parish. They had a parish system that would consist of any number of families, maybe 50 to 100 families, and those elders who were over that parish and the deacons were responsible to both be encouragers and also those who would hold people to the Christian faith and attendance at work, at church, and so forth, the catechism of their children and all of that. So these are all aspects of pastoral ministry that Calvin was very much a part of. And he uh, didn't have the easiest time of bringing them about. There were lots of people who opposed Calvin at different points, especially a group in Geneva, which became known as the Infants de Geneva, who were also known as the Libertines. That would be their more common nomenclature of how they were known. But they were a group of people in Geneva made up of some of the principal families. They all assented to the affirmation of the doctrinal standards of the church in Geneva that Guillaume Farrell, Calvin, and Pierre Verret, and other different reformers had brought to bear. But they weren't so keen on the transformation of morals and their way of life. 
Geneva was a very cosmopolitan type of city. Every vice that you could possibly think of, you could easily find there. It was at the very end of Lake Le Mans, or what later became known as Lake Geneva. It was the gateway down into France. So there was a lot of trade, a lot of commerce that took place there. And it was quite a challenge for the reformers, in particular Calvin, uh, to bring about a Reformation time in the period of roughly uh, 1541 all the way up to 1545 or 55. So roughly 14 years of challenging work, turmoil, at times when Calvin thought he was going to lose his position altogether and be thrown out of the city for a second time. And uh, at different points uh, where they saw some gain, but it was a struggle during those 14 years in particular. So I'm going to pick up right at that point, Chris, if you don't mind. That'd be great. Well, first of all, when Calvin came back to Geneva in 1541 in November, he had been exiled from Geneva along with Pharrell and various other pastors uh, because they refused to celebrate the Lord's Supper in the Easter of 1538. The city council was incensed by that, and they declared all the preachers, including Calvin, as persona non grata, and they had to leave. They gave him a very short window of time to get out of town. But as those uh, two and a half years went by, there were several situations that arose that made the Genevan City Council realize what a fool they were or what fools they were to get rid of Calvin. Uh, there was a letter, for example, from Cardinal Sadaletto, a Roman Catholic bishop and cardinal in Italy, who wrote to try to win the Genevan Church back to Roman Catholicism. Yeah, that correspondence, that correspondence is a very important uh, uh, event in history, actually, isn't it, with Calvin and, Car yes, and Cardinal Saletto? They couldn't find anyone in Geneva to answer Saletto. And so eventually someone had the idea of sending his letter to Calvin who at that time was a minister in Strasbourg alongside of Martin Busser. And Calvin, in three days' time, wrote this brilliant response, which he sent back to Geneva, and they then forwarded that on to Sadaletto. And uh, the response of Calvin was so powerful in refuting the arguments that Sadaletto put forward that at that point, the people in Geneva realized they had to get John Calvin back. And so they began working to do that very thing. By the way, could you so remind me, I'm sorry I keep interrupting you, but can you remind our listeners why they refused to observe the Lord's table that Easter? The reason why is that the, the, um, the town of Geneva had descended uh, over many, many decades into a very um, despicable violent and immoral place. And the efforts of the reformers, Calvin and Pharrell and a few others, were not producing all the fruit that they had hoped. And so they felt that it would be a offense to God to celebrate the Lord's Supper 
in April of 1538. And so they refused to do so to allow the people to receive the supper when there was a lack of repentance and a kind of a double-minded approach. They would affirm doctrine, but they wouldn't change their lives. And that's what got them in trouble with the Genevan City Council. So they they even banned and, uh the Lord's table to those who were uh, giving evidence of genuine saving faith and repentance and godliness. It was a universal thing that were the, yes. even Calvin himself didn't partake, right? That's correct. Um, they felt that it would have been an offense to God to have the people receive the supper when there was such a shabby standard of walking with Christ in the city of Geneva. And they're, they're, now, they weren't... They, they, I just wanted to quickly say, and then I'm not going to interrupt you so much anymore. Okay. Uh, th- this really is such glaring evidence against some of Calvinists' enemies, uh, Calvinism's enemies. <laughs> um, you know, you have enemies who are firing their weapons at Calvinism from all sides, some who actually believe. Uh, or should I say, uh, declare slanderously that Calvinism teaches a works righteousness, which is utterly absurd. But there are those on the other. Yes. There are those on the other side of the spectrum, including a world famous Calvary Chapel affiliated uh, pastor and preacher, Raul Reese, who I don't know if he's changed his uh, opinion since then, but I can remember vividly him saying on his program. Uh, there are people out there who believe you could live like the devil your whole life and you'll still go to heaven when you die. That's not in the Bible, man. John Calvin made that up, man. And obviously, uh, Raul Reese had never read a single sentence by John Calvin because he never would have come to the the conclusion he did otherwise. And, and what you just said about the the banning of of the Lord's Supper that Easter because of uh, the lack of repentance on the majority of the populace of Geneva is is glaring evidence that Calvin took a holy life very seriously. That's right. Um, let me just read a list of different problems that were evident in Geneva that the reformers, notably Calvin, were trying to deal with. One was excessive drunkenness. Secondly, uh, the abundance of taverns all over town. Not that Calvin was against having wine or some other brewed beverage. He was never against that. Uh, But there were people who abused that whole aspect of life, and that was a serious problem. There was the um, Roman Catholic view of holidays, which turned them into uh, great feasting times, nothing against feasts, but uh, the idea that they were also idolatrous in the way that they were practiced, an abundance of gambling, uh, morality plays that were popular at that time at the later ends of the medieval age. There were sensual dances that took place, prostitution, divorce, and remarriage that was unscriptural, and there was an abundance of superstition. I mean, these were just some of the issues that Calvin and the Reformers were trying to deal with in Geneva. And one of the ways that they tried to deal with this right off 
is that Calvin came up with a plan. His plan was called the Ecclesiastical Ordinances. And basically, it just meant the, the way in which the church was going to work. How are they going to work their plan? And uh, one of the things that he tried to do in particular was to bring about regular preaching of the word and a regular observance of the Lord's Supper that in time uh, became the regular practice in Geneva. It took a while to get there, but he wanted to get the the city because the whole city was expected to be a part of the church on a regular basis, not just individual Christians or individual families here or there, but the entire city. That was the understanding at that time. And so uh, in coming up with this plan, he uh, set certain things in motion. Uh, one of those was the establishment of a consistory. And that would be uh, the idea of having not only the ministers of the church, some of the ruling elders, some of the fathers of the church in terms or fathers of the city council, that is, and also some of the magistrates of the city council all meeting together on Thursdays to deal with areas that were problems in the life of different individuals. Let's say, for example, that there was a husband who was abusing his wife and his children, and that would uh, come to the attention of the elders. They would seek to reason with a man following the practice of Matthew 18. If there was no repentance, then they would go in two or three members, and if no repentance, they would tell it to the church, which involved going to the consistory that met every Thursday and calling such a person who was abusing his family to report to them. And they would exhort him by scripture. And there also would be a close relationship between the church and the civil authorities. That's a little different today, uh, where we have a much clearer separation of powers. But at that time, in the uh, 1500s, there was a much closer relationship between church and state or the civil authorities. And so the establishment of a consistory uh, was an important aspect for discipline. There also was the recognition that there needed to be regular preaching. And so orderly times of preaching were established in the church, not only on the Lord's Day, twice on the Lord's Day, usually a morning and an afternoon service, but also midweek services. And so uh, Calvin and the Reformers in Geneva established a, a time of coming to worship on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. As time went along, that expanded out. Those weren't obligatory services, but they were additional services where people could come and sit under the preaching of the word, and they could uh, learn what it meant to be free in Christ and to be one who is pardoned and freed from the guilt of sin, what it meant to be a Christian, what it meant to lead a Christian life. I mean, these are all important aspects in the life in Geneva. That's why you see on the monument to the Reformation, the words, post tenebrous lux. Out of darkness, light. After darkness, light. Yeah, that the gospel was making such an impact 
in the lives of the people in Geneva, they were, they were beginning to see to what degree they had been living in darkness under the Roman Catholic system and how they needed to come out from it. Well, um, let me tell you a little bit more about some of the struggles that Calvin had. There were a number of individuals who gave him much grief uh, through the life uh, of, of, the, of uh, his life and his ministry. Uh, in particular, uh, there were some who sought to attack him in a straightforward manner and just challenging him in public debate. That didn't always go over so well because, one, Calvin had such an incredible memory that he was able to bring up scripture citations and citations from the early church fathers, as well as an, a, a very broad range of reading that he had accomplished and a remarkable memory for citing lengthy pra- uh, passages. And so he was able to defeat many of his opponents or opponents who came against him. And then there were more sneaky opponents in particular, the libertines, who always seem to try to get under the skin of Calvin by calling him uh, insulting names, by floating various uh, lies and various innuendos around. There was one time in um, 1547, if I have the date right, when there was a plague in Geneva, and there were lots of people who were dying. Uh, some of Calvin's friends encouraged him to leave Geneva, which he never would do. He refused to do so. Uh, but there were some uh, people who tried to essentially kill him at that point. They would take some of the body fluids or bodily fluids from some of those who had died in the plague. And they would go and wipe those over the door of his house wow, and over the doorknobs to try to kill him. Uh, he and his family. Wow. It was a very shocking display of wickedness, but you can see the way uh, that people would descend to such levels of depravity to try to undo him or to take him off of the scene. Now the Libertines, as we I believe brought up the last time, just so our listeners, especially that are hearing this for the first time, uh, they very much fit the description that the aforementioned Raoul Reese uh, slanderously gave to Calvinism. They did believe that you could live like the devil your whole life and go to heaven. Isn't that right? Well, in many ways, because they had grown up in the Roman Catholic system where there was no real sense of assurance you would seek to live a holy life by participating in the life of the church, in particular, uh, receiving the sacraments, of which there were seven. So they would try to receive as many of them as possible. And each of those sacraments that they could receive would give an element of grace, almost like a substance that you would try to collect in an empty jar. And the hope was that by participating in the life of the church, by deeds of penance, uh, that they would accumulate accumulate enough grace so that when they died, they would only have to have a short time in purgatory. Or perhaps if they had enough people praying for them, 
and enough appeals made to the saints and to the Virgin Mary, they might be able to get enough grace to go straight into the presence of God, into heaven, and to experience the beatific vision. That was the hope and the goal. Um, But the problem with Roman Catholic theology is that it's all based upon non-scriptural ideas, the traditions of men. And as a result, as the true gospel kept being preached, there were uh, a group of people who took offense at that. It's uh, exactly what Paul spoke of in 1 Corinthians 2, that spiritual truth is spiritually discerned. And uh, these people couldn't discern what Calvin and the other reformers were saying, and so they were opposed to it. And so they sought to take the reformer down. In fact, pick up where you left off when we return from our first commercial break. If you'd like to join us with a question, right. if you'd like to join us with a question of your own, send it to chrisarnson at gmail.com. Give us your first name at least, city and state and country of residence. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Armored Republic exists to equip free men with tools of liberty to defend God-given rights against the twin threats of tyranny and chaos. If you own a rifle to resist tyrants and criminals, then you should own body armor and a med kit for the same reasons. A rifle stops evil, body armor and a med kit keep you in the fight and preserve your life. Armored Republic is a body of free craftsmen united to create tools of liberty. We are honored to be your armorsmith of choice. Civilian ownership of body armor is about increasing decentralized power and by comparison, reducing the advantages of centralized power. The danger of centralized power is often represented by the word king. As Americans, we hate the word king, applied to any mere man. We are Armored Republic, and in a republic, there is no king but Christ. Arm yourself with tools of liberty at armoredrepublic.com. Sarnson here, host of Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. I strongly recommend a church I've been recommending as far back as the 1980s, Grace Covenant Baptist Church in Flemington, New Jersey, pastored by Alan Dunn. Grace Covenant Baptist Church believes it's God's prerogative to determine how he shall be worshipped and how he shall be represented in the world. They believe churches need to turn to the Bible to discover what to include in worship and how to worship God in spirit and truth. They endeavor to maintain a God-centered focus and to protect worship from the intrusion of carnal entertainments and distractions. Reading, preaching, and hearing the Word of God, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, baptism, and communion are the scriptural elements of their corporate worship performed with faith, joy, and sobriety. Discover more about Grace Covenant Baptist Church in Flemington, New Jersey at gcbc-nj.org. That's gcbc-nj.org. Or call them at 908-996-7654. That's 908-996-7654. Tell Pastor Dunn you heard about Grace Covenant Baptist Church on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. 
I'm Phil Johnson, Executive Director of Grace to You with John MacArthur. I've been a frequent guest on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio, and I highly recommend this show. But today I want to tell you about one of its advertisers, Rare Document Traders. Far and away, my favorite source for quality Charles Spurgeon memorabilia. Are you looking for that special, unique gift for your pastor or missionary friend or a loved one? Why not purchase a piece of church history that any believer would cherish? Rare Document Traders is your one-step source for Spurgeon's handwritten manuscripts and letters, as well as other rare books and collectible items from church history. In 15 years that they've been in business, they've earned a stellar reputation in the Reformed community with thousands of satisfied customers all around the world, including me. Visit raredoctraders.com today. That's raredoctraders.com. Don't forget to mention you heard about them on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. That's raredoctraders.com. Brian McLaughlin, president of the SecureCom Group and an enthusiastic supporter of Chris Arnzen's Iron Sharpens Iron radio program. The SecureCom Group provides the highest level of security, closed-circuit television, access control, and communication systems for Manhattan's top residential buildings, as well as churches, commercial properties, municipalities, and more. We custom install exactly what you need to protect yourself, including digital recording, off-site viewing, and connectivity from most smart devices. From simple code-activated systems to the latest technology using facial recognition, the SecureCom Group has it. We also provide the latest in intercom and IP telephone systems. In addition, we provide superior networking platforms. We'll create, maintain, and secure your local network. Whether it's a Wi-Fi or hardwire network, we'll implement the latest secured firewall, endpoint solutions, and cloud backup. I would love to have the honor and privilege of helping protect the lives and property of Iron Sharpens Iron radio listeners and their associates. For more details on how the SecureCom Group may be of service to you with the very latest in security innovations, call 718-353-3355. That's 718-353-3355. Or visit securecomgroup.com. That's securecomgroup.com. This is Brian McLaughlin of the SecureCom Group, joining Chris Arnzen's family of advertisers to keep Iron Sharpens Iron Radio on the air. Pastor Keith Allen of Lindbrook Baptist Church, a Christ-centered, gospel-driven church looking to spread the gospel in the southwest portion of Long Island, New York, and play our role in fulfilling the Great Commission, supporting and sending for the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth. We're delighted to be a part of Chris Arnzen's Iron Sharpens Iron Radio advertising family. At Lindbrook Baptist Church, we believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the inspired word of God inerrant in the original writings, complete as the revelation of God's will for salvation, and the supreme and final authority in all matters to which they speak. We believe in salvation by grace, through faith, in Jesus Christ. This salvation is based upon the sovereign grace of God, was purchased by Christ on the cross, 
and is received through faith alone, apart from any human merit, works, or ritual. Salvation in Christ also results in righteous living, good works, and appropriate respect and concern for all who bear God's image. If you live near Lynbrook, Long Island, or if you're just passing through on the Lord's Day, we'd love to have you come and join us in worship. For details, visit lynbrookbaptist.org. That's L-Y-N brookbaptist.org. This is Pastor Keith Allen of Lynbrook Baptist Church reminding you that by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The Lord bless you in the knowledge of himself. We here at Iron Sharpens Iron Radio praise God for the generous monthly financial support of Royal Diadem Jewelers, educated by and affiliated with the American Gem Society. Jewelers of America and the Gemological Institute of America. For the perfect custom-designed engagement ring or any one-of-a-kind piece of jewelry created exactly according to your imagination and specifications, Royal Diadem Jewelers has you covered. No matter where you live in the world, Royal Diadem will walk you step-by-step through every stage of the process and even hold a high-tech internet virtual visit using state-of-the-art jewelry design technology to serve you. They start by listening carefully to determine your needs. They're interested in making what you want, not what they want to sell you. From rough design to digital model, to photorealistic image, to wax prototype model, to the finished product, they're continually listening to your input, likes and dislikes, making any changes necessary along the way. This will ensure that your custom jewellery will turn out exactly as you dreamed and well beyond your expectations. Visit royaldiadem.com, that's royaldiadem.com today. Sterling Vanderwerker, owner of Royal Diadem Jewelers, his wife Bronnie, his business partner and manager Brian Wilson, and the entire family thank you all for listening to, praying for, and supporting the work of Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. And don't forget, folks, RoyalDiadem.com is still offering this amazing, mind-blowing opportunity to Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. They are giving Iron Sharp and Zion Radio 100% of the profits from any sale of jewelry to an Iron Sharp and Zion Radio listener simply by that listener saying, I heard about RoyalDiadem.com on Iron Sharp and Zion Radio. That's all you have to do when you make your purchase of jewelry or have a custom designed piece of jewelry created. If you mention us, we will get 100% of the profits from that sale. And by the way, that's on top of the generous monthly financial support that RoyalDiadem.com is already providing for Iron Trip and Zion Radio automatically. So, if you have any interest in purchasing jewelry for yourself or someone you love or having a piece of jewelry customized uh, and designed, uh, please do that as soon as possible because we have no idea when RoyalDiadem.com will pull the plug on this offer where we get 100% of the profits from that sale of jewelry. So go to RoyalDiadem.com today and mention Iron Trip and Zion Radio. We are now back with Marcus Service, and we are 
discussing uh, the pastoral role of John Calvin, and we were in the midst of a uh, clarification and identification of the Libertines and what they stood for. If you want to pick up where you left off, brother. Yeah, I'm happy to. The um, Libertines, as I mentioned, were the spiritual opponents of Calvin, and they sought to do him a lot of damage. But uh, it's good to remember something that Calvin wrote about conflict. He said, even a dog will fight for his master when threatened. How much more should I fight for the word of God? Amen. And I think that's a wonderful statement or testimony to the uh, determination that Calvin had to keep moving forward, to keep uh, keep his plan that he had established in mind in the ecclesiastical ordinances, and to uh, trust God for the results. I wanted to read uh, just for a moment uh, one quote from Charles Bridges, who wrote a masterful book on Christian ministry. And in that book, he gives this testimony to the labors of Calvin. And so just listen to this summary of what Calvin did throughout his ministry and his life. This is Charles Bridges saying, what shall we say of Calvin's indefatigable industry, even beyond the power of nature, which being paralleled with our loitering, I fear will exceed all credit and may be a true object of admiration how his lean worn, spent, and weary body could possibly hold out. He read every week in the year three divinity lectures, and every other week over and above. He preached at times over every day, so that Erasmus said of Chrysostom, I do not know whether more to admire the indefatigableness of the man or his hearers. Yea, some have reckoned up that Calvin's lectures were yearly 100 and 86, his sermons 286. And besides Thursday, he sat in the presbytery and the consistory. Calvin's own account in one of his letters to Pharrell thus speaks, when the messenger called for my book, the commentary on Romans, which was his first commentary, I had 20 sheets to revise. I had to preach, to read to the congregation, to write 42 letters, and attend to some controversies and return answers to more than 10 persons who had interrupted me in the midst of my labors for advice. Well, that's a picture of the busyness of John Calvin. What do you think of that, Chris? I'm blown away, and it's also, uh, whenever I hear about a great saint of God, uh, especially from history past, but even from today, whose life and knowledge and accomplishments and legacy uh, is far greater than I will ever uh, leave to anyone I know. <laughs> uh, and these individuals, uh, some of these individuals, went home to be with the Lord at a far younger age than I am currently at right now. Calvin was seven years younger than me. Not yet, 55. And I also yeah. think of Robert Murray McShane, who... Passed, mm. passed and went home to be with the Lord at 29 and how he accomplished for the Lord uh, infinitely more than I will ever accomplish. 
uh, and it's just it can be embarrassing. <laughs> but these kinds of things propel us and challenge us to uh, be uh, better servants of Christ. Absolutely, I, I think of it as just uh, the issue of humility, and I'm humbled by their example. And uh, I've lived longer than a lot of these guys. And I wish there were times and seasons when I would have been much more productive, that's for sure. Well, a little bit more about Calvin's pastoral ministry. Uh, He believed very strongly that the church was typified by three marks. He called these the note ecclesia. And the first was that there would be a fervent preaching of the word of God. That was uh, his commitment to make sure that the word of God was proclaimed from week to week and even day to day in his lectures. Secondly, he believed this a mark of the church was the proper observance of the sacraments, of which all Protestants would believe that there are two that the Lord has enumerated for us in the church, and that is baptism and the Lord's Supper. And thirdly, Calvin implied a third mark, which was later popularized by John Knox, who was one of the students of John Calvin in the Genevan Academy and and his times of lecturing. Uh, And that was the idea of discipline of the church. And so you have the preaching of the word, the proper administration of the sacraments, the discipline of the believer. So when we think about the church today and what church should we be a part of or even consider joining? Well, it seems to be those three marks in particular have to be at the forefront of our minds as to where we're going to settle, where we're going to know we'll be spiritually nurtured. And that was Calvin's uh, desire as well, to make sure that in Geneva, all of that happened. Now, one of the ways that Calvin sought to make it come about was through the offices of the church, or you could even say certain officers within the church. And he recognized that there were four basic offices. There were pastors, teachers, elders, and deacons, those four. Now, in a lot of Reformed and Presbyterian churches, we'll have pastors, we'll have deacons, we'll have elders. And sometimes the elders also include those who are in the pastoral role, uh, all of them being elders, but simply having a different calling, per se, in terms of time and commitments to the church. But Calvin saw these four offices as a scriptural structure that gave direction and guidance to the church. And kind of unique was this issue of the teacher. The teacher did not have the responsibility of leading worship or administering the sacraments, but they were to be involved in the proclamation of the gospel and the exposition of Holy Scripture on a regular basis so that every church had someone who was particularly gifted in that area to not only write, but also to teach for the advancement of uh, maturity in the church. And so uh, that was one of the things that Calvin was very much involved in. He also felt that 
the officers of the church were the ones to administer the keys of the kingdom. And so you could see that God has created certain structures like a family that has the, the rod, the civil authorities who would manifest a sword, but the church who would manifest ecclesiastical discipline through the power of the keys to the kingdom. And that is that when there were people who claimed to be Christians and went astray, that there would be uh, some loving exhortation that would be given. People would be brought before the Genevan consistory to give an explanation of why they were not coming to church, why there was family disharmony, why they were falling back into public sin, why they were critical of the doctrines of the church, all these different things. Uh, then uh, if they weren't going to heed that exhortation, then there were more serious consequences that could come in time. But that was uh, one of the functions of the officers of the church to exercise the keys of the kingdom. Now, in Geneva, they recognize that the authority within the church was not to be invested in any one man, but into a plurality of godly elders. And so in this way, they establish a pattern that's going to be a rich example for not only those in the Baptist world, but also those in the Presbyterian world and those in the Reformed Dutch Reformed and various other Reformed churches, a pattern of leadership that there is to be a session of elders or a consistory made up of elders and deacons or some sort of leadership board that does not invest spiritual authority in just one individual. And we can give thanks to Calvin for setting that kind of system up and popularizing it in Geneva. Surely it was known in scripture, but you have to remember there had been over a thousand years of Roman Catholic hegemony and um, as it were covering over those spiritual patterns. And so Calvin reinstitutes that. In regard to um, civil government, uh, Calvin recognized that there were these two different spheres of authority in any given city, church, and state. And admittedly, at that time, church and state were much closely united in their uh, working together than perhaps in our time today. Maybe that'll change over the next several decades or century here in our own country, which would be, I think, a good step forward. But uh, there was the idea that church and state work together. Some people, because of this, felt that Calvin was the dictator of Geneva. I suppose you've heard that criticism, have you, Chris? Oh, yeah, the uh, crazy ideas. In fact, some people, not even exaggerating, some people I know have actually confused Vlad the Impaler in Transylvania with John Calvin and given the same anecd- oh my. <laughs> and given the same anecdotes about uh Vlad the Impaler having people on his front lawn impaled on stakes uh and so on, I had to correct them about that 
Uh, well, that's very, very far from the truth. Oh, I can of course. assure you. <laughs> um, well, here's a few examples just to show that Calvin could not have been the dictator of Geneva. We've already talked about how Calvin, uh, William Farrell, and Ami Corot, uh, def- the pastors of Geneva, were exiled from the entire city in the year 1538. They were declared persona non grata. They had to leave the city. We've already established that fact. Secondly, when Calvin did return, one of the main points of contention from 1541 on was who had the authority of practicing excommunication for an unrepentant sinner. Was that the ministers of the gospel and the consistory, or was that the Genevan City Council? Because of all of the abuses in the Roman Catholic system, the council in many ways overreacted, taking that authority upon themselves. By the way, could you pick they up were the, could you pick up where you left off when we return from our midway break, please? I'm sorry to interrupt you again. No problem. I'll do that. And just don't forget where you left off there. Uh, I've got it all marked. Please please be patient with us, folks. The middle break is always a little longer because Grace Life Radio, 90.1 FM in Lake City, Florida, requires us to have a longer break in the middle of the show because the FCC requires of them to localize Iron Sharpens Iron Radio geographically to Lake City, Florida, where the radio station is located. They do so with their own public service announcements and other local things while we simultaneously air our globally heard commercials. Please use this time wisely. Respond to as many of our advertisers as you possibly can, keeping in mind that our advertisers and the finances they provide for us are what is keeping us on the air. So please respond to our advertisers and also send in your questions to Marcus Servan, the Chris Arnson at gmail.com. We'll be right back. Puritan Reformed is a Bible-believing, kingdom-building, devil-fighting church. We are devoted to upholding the apostolic doctrine and practice preserved in Scripture alone. Puritan Reformed teaches men to rule and lead as image-bearing prophets, priests, and kings. We teach families to worship together as families. Puritan is committed to teaching the whole counsel of God so that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. We sing the Psalms, teach the law, proclaim the gospel, make disciples, maintain discipline, and exalt Christ. This is Pastor David Reese of Puritan Reformed in Phoenix, Arizona. Join us in the glorious cause of advancing Christ's crown and covenant over the kings of the earth. Puritan Reformed Church. Believe. Build. Fight. PuritanPHX.com I'm Dr. Joseph Piper, President Emeritus and Professor of Systematic and Applied Theology at Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Every Christian who's serious about the Reformed faith and the Westminster Standards should have and use the eight-volume commentary on the theology and ethics of the Westminster Larger Catechism titled Authentic Christianity by Dr. Joseph Moorcraft. It is much more than an exposition of the Larger Catechism. It is a thoroughly researched work 
utilizes biblical exegesis as well as historical and systematic theology. Uh, Tamor Craft is pastor of Heritage Presbyterian Church of Cumming, Georgia, and I urge everyone looking for a biblically faithful church in that area to visit that fine congregation. For details on the eight-volume commentary, go to westminstercommentary.com, westminstercommentary.com. For details on Heritage Presbyterian Church of Cumming, Georgia, visit heritagepresbyterianchurch.com, heritagepresbyterianchurch.com. Please tell Dr. Moorcraft and the saints at Heritage Presbyterian Church of Cumming, Georgia, that Dr. Joseph Piper of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary sent you. Sharpens Iron Radio first launched in 2005, the publishers of the New American Standard Bible were among my very first sponsors. It gives me joy knowing that many scholars and pastors in the Iron Sharpens Iron Radio audience have been sticking with or switching to the NASB. This is Daryl Bernard Harrison, co-host of the Just Thinking Podcast, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Pastor Tom Buck a First Baptist Church in Lindell, Texas, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Pastor Kent Keller of Faith Bible Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Andrew Rappaport, the founder and executive director at Striving for Eternity Ministries, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Mark Romaldi, pastor of Sovereign Grace Church of Greenbrier, Tennessee, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Christopher Cookston, pastor of Prineville Community Church in Prineville, Oregon, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Matt Tarr, pastor of High Point Baptist Church in Larksville, Pennsylvania, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. Here's a great way for your church to help keep Iron Sharpens Iron Radio on the air. Pastors, are your pew Bibles tattered and falling apart? Consider restocking your pews with the NASB. And tell the publishers you heard about them from Chris Arnzen on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. Go to nasbible.com. That's nasbible.com to place your order. Hello, my name is Anthony Uvino, and I'm one of the pastors at Hope Reform Baptist Church in Quorum, New York, and also the host of the ReformRookie.com website. I want you to know that if you enjoy listening to the Iron Sharpens Iron Radio Show like I do, You can now find it on the Apple's iTunes app by typing Iron Sharpens Iron Radio in the search bar. You no longer have to worry about missing a show or a special guest because you're in your car or still at work. Just subscribe on the iTunes app and listen to the Iron Sharpens Iron Radio show at any time, day or night. Please be sure to also give it a good review and pass it along to anyone who would benefit from the teaching and the many solidly reformed guests that Chris Arnzen has on the show. Truth is so hard to come by these days. So don't waste your time with fluff or fake news. Subscribe to the Iron Sharpens Iron Radio podcast right now. And while you're at it, you can also sign up for the ReformRookie.com podcast and visit our website and the YouTube page. We are dedicated to teaching Christian theology from a Reformed Baptist perspective to beginners in the faith as well as seasoned believers. From Keech's Catechism and the Doctrines of Grace to the Olivet Discourse and the Book of Leviticus, the Reform Rookie podcast and YouTube channel 
is sure to have something to offer everyone seeking biblical truth. And finally, if you're looking to worship in a Reformed church that holds to the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, please join us at Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Quorum, New York. Again, I'm Pastor Anthony Avenio, and thanks for listening. If you love Iron Sharpens Iron Radio, one of the best ways you can help keep the show on the air is by supporting our advertisers. One such faithful advertiser who really believes in what Chris Arnzen is doing is Daniel P. Patafuco, serious injury lawyer and Christian apologist. Dan is the president and founder of the Historical Bible Society. Their mission to foster belief in the credibility of Scripture as the written Word of God. They go to various churches, schools, and institutions to publicly display a rare collection of biblical texts, along with a fascinating presentation by Mr. Butterfuco demonstrating the reliability of Scripture. To advance the cause of the Gospel, they created a beautiful, perfect facsimile of the genealogy of Jesus Christ from the original engravings contained in a first edition 1611 King James Bible. This 17th century hand-engraved chart shows the family tree of Jesus Christ going back to Adam and Eve. This book is complete with gorgeous full-size illustrations of Noah's Ark and the Tower of Babel and an explanation of why the genealogy of Jesus is so important for his claims to the throne of the universe. Originals of this work are in museums and nobody has ever made it accessible to the public in a large book form before. You can have your own copy of this 44-page genealogy book for a donation of $35 or more. Visit historicalbiblesociety.org. That's historicalbiblesociety.org. Thanks for helping to keep Iron Sharpens Iron Radio on the air. This is Pastor Bill Sasso, Grace Church at Franklin, here in the beautiful state of Tennessee. Our congregation is one of a growing number of churches who love and support Iron Sharpens Iron Radio financially. Grace Church at Franklin is an independent, autonomous body of believers which strives to clearly declare the whole counsel of God as revealed in Scripture through the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, the end for which we strive is the glory of God. If you live near Franklin, Tennessee, and Franklin is just south of Nashville, maybe 10 minutes, or you are visiting this area, or you have friends and loved ones nearby, we hope you will join us some Lord's Day in worshiping our God and Savior. Please feel free to contact me if you have more questions about Grace Church at Franklin. Our website is gracechurchatfranklin.org. That's gracechurchatfranklin.org. This is Pastor Bill Sasser wishing you all the richest blessings of our sovereign Lord, God, Savior, and King Jesus Christ today and always. When Iron 
Sharpens Iron Radio first launched in 2005, the publishers of the New American Standard Bible were among my very first sponsors. It gives me joy knowing that many scholars and pastors in the Iron Sharpens Iron Radio audience have been sticking with or switching to the NASB. I'm Dr. Joseph Piper, President and Professor of Systematic and Homiletical Theology at Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary in Taylor, South Carolina. And the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Pastor Chuck White at the First Trinity Lutheran Church in Tonawanda, New York, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Pastor Anthony Mathenia of Christ Church in Radford, Virginia, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Pastor Jesse Miller of Damascus Road Christian Church in Gardnerville, Nevada, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Pastor Bruce Bennett of Word of Truth Church in Farmingville, Long Island, New York, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Pastor Rodney Brown of Metro Bible Church in South Lake, Texas, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Pastor Jim Harrison of Red Mills Baptist Church in Mayapack Falls, New York, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. Here's a great way for your church to help keep Iron Sharpens Iron Radio on the air. Pastors, are your pew Bibles tattered and falling apart? Consider restocking your pews with the NASB. And tell the publishers you heard about them from Chris Arnzen on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. Go to nasbible.com. That's nasbible.com to place your order. Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said, Give yourself unto reading. The man who never reads will never be read. He who never quotes will never be quoted. He who will not use the thoughts of other men's brains proves that he has no brains of his own. You need to read. Solid Ground Christian Books is a publisher and book distributor who takes these words of the Prince of Preachers to heart. The mission of Solid Ground Christian Books is to bring back treasures of the past to minister to Christians in the present and future, and to publish new titles that address burning issues in the church and the world. Since its beginning in 2001, Solid Ground has been committed to publish God-centered, Christ-exalting books for all ages. We invite you to go treasure hunting at solid-ground-books.com. That's solid-ground-books.com and see what priceless literary gems from the past or present you can unearth from Solid Ground. Solid Ground Christian Books is honored to be a weekly sponsor of Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. And don't forget, folks, solid-ground-books.com is a vital, it is a primary, a premier sponsor of this broadcast. And we depend upon their monthly financing to exist, so I hope that you return the favor and purchase books from solid-ground-books.com today, if indeed you do love Iron Sharpens Iron Radio and are grateful for its advertisers who keep this program on the air. But please keep in mind, you're not only going to be doing solid-ground-books.com a favor by purchasing books from them, and you're not only going to be doing Iron Sharpens Iron Radio a favor by keeping one of our most important advertisers happy, you're going to be doing yourself and anyone for whom you are purchasing books from solid-ground-books.com an enormous favor of incalculable value because they bring back into print and also publish for the very first time nothing but the very finest in Christian literature dating back to the 16th century 
Protestant Reformation, including books by and about John Calvin, which is our subject today, going through the centuries all the way up to our modern day, including such authors of today as Dr. James R. White of Alpha and Omega Ministries. So please uh, visit solid-ground-books.com frequently, purchase generously, and please visit that site today and make a purchase. If it's your first time, uh, please make your very first purchase today from solid-ground-books.com. And if you're even a regular or frequent customer, make today your largest purchase than ever before, if if at all you could afford to do so, at solid-ground-books.com. Always mention that you heard about them from Chris Arns and Avine Sharp and Zion Radio. Before I return to my guest, Marcus Servan, as we continue our discussion uh, in part two of a discussion we began on January 29th, uh, today is part two of our discussion on John Calvin's role of pastor. Uh, before we return to that, I have some important announcements to make. If you really love this show, folks, you don't want it to disappear from the airwaves, go to IronSharpenedIronRadio.com, click support, then click, click to donate now. You could donate instantly with a debit or credit card in that fashion. And if you prefer snail mail, sending in a physical check to a physical address from your post office, there will also be a physical address that appears on your screen where you may mail your checks made payable to Iron Sharpens Iron Radio when you click support at IronSharpenedIronRadio.com. If you want to advertise with us, whether it is your church, parachurch ministry, your business, your private practice like a law firm or a medical firm, or maybe it's just a special event you want to promote. Whatever it is, as long as it's compatible with what I believe, I would love to help you launch an ad campaign because we're just as much in urgent need of your advertising dollars as your donations. So please send me an email to chrisarnson at gmail.com and put advertising in the subject line. Always keep in mind, I never want anybody to give their own church where you are a member Less money than you normally give that church in order to bless Iron Sharpens Iron Radio with a financial gift. Never do that. And if you're really struggling to survive and make ends meet, uh, please wait until you're back on your feet and more financially stable before you send Iron Sharpens Zion Radio a financial gift. Uh, there are two things that the Bible is very clear about regarding our finances. We are primarily to use the money with which God has blessed us, which is still God's money. We're primarily to use it to support our church and our family. And providing Iron Trip and Zion Radio is not a command of God. But if you do love the show and you don't want it to disappear and you are blessed financially above and beyond your ability to provide for church and family and you have extra money for benevolent, recreational, and trivial purposes... Please share some of that money with us if you really want us to survive. Go to ironsharpensironradio.com, click support, then click, click to donate now. Last but not least, if you're not a member of a Christ-honoring, biblically faithful, theologically sound, doctrinally solid church, like Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Austin, Texas, where my guest today serves on the pastoral board, uh, well, I have extensive lists spanning the globe, of theologically sound churches, and I've helped many people in my audience all over the world find solid churches, sometimes even within just a couple of minutes from where they live, all over the planet Earth. So that may be you too. If you are without a church home, send me an email to chrisarnson at gmail.com and put, I need a church in the subject line. That's also the email address where you can send in a question to Marcus Servan on John Calvin and even more specifically on his role as pastor. 
chrisarnson at gmail.com, chrisarnson at gmail.com. And if you continue uh, where you left off, uh, Marcus, before we go to any listener questions. Yeah, happy to. We were discussing the idea of whether Calvin was a dictator of the city of Geneva. And I was giving uh, three different answers to that question. Uh, One was to say that in uh, 1538, he was exiled from the city for two and a half years. So hardly be considered a dictator of Geneva when that happened. Secondly, um, there was ongoing struggle over who had the right to excommunicate the city council or the church authorities. Eventually, uh, Calvin's going to win that argument, but that was a struggle throughout his entire ministry. And then thirdly, the um, it's important to note that Calvin never served as an officer on any of the councils in the city of Geneva. There are many times that he addressed them, but he never held any kind of civil office. He was never a member of any particular council. And it was discovered to the shame of the Genevans that they had never actually even made him a citizen of the city of Geneva until 1559, when they just happened to notice that, oh, my gosh, uh, our pastor is not even a citizen of the whole city. Yeah, he's a a native of France. That's right. So they quickly took care of that problem. Um, But it was just a good example of how this claim that somehow he was a dictator of the city was actually not at all true. And And I want to say just a little. Go ahead. I want to say a little word about his preaching. Uh, One of the things that uh, Calvin was noted for obviously was uh, preaching the word of God. And one of the important aspects that he brings to the table when it comes to preaching is what he referred to as Lectio Continuo, which is the preaching of one passage after another. And that type of preaching, although Calvin obviously did not invent it, it there were other reformers, who were doing similar things, but Calvin certainly gets credit for popularizing expositional preaching. Verse after verse, chapter after chapter, book after book. And if you do any study of Calvin and his pastoral ministry, you'll see that uh, thanks to the recording efforts of the deacons in the uh, city, we have a number of his sermons. In fact, uh, thousands of his sermons. In, um, uh, let's see, 1549, the deacons realized that nobody was actually doing a good job of recording his sermons, so they actually hired a man, Denise Ragnar, who developed a uh, system for taking down Calvin's sermons because he delivered them uh, without notes. And so there was nothing to go back to, but uh, he would take down word for word in the shorthand method, and then he would submit the manuscripts to Calvin for any corrections. And those manuscripts later become uh, what's known as the commentaries that have made Calvin so famous over the years. His uh, comments 
uh, not only on different portions of scripture, but different points of theology as well. So uh, Calvin, um, he would preach in the mornings and then he would preach in the afternoons, uh, typically at St. Pierre, which was the largest church facility in Geneva. But also he would go out to some of the smaller chapels. La Madeleine was one of the ones he went to frequently, which was only about a half mile away from St. Pierre, just down the hill. And he would preach there on Sunday evenings, oftentimes. He also was uh, committed, besides uh, preaching verse by verse, that uh, he was submit, committed to also having his sermons published, if at all possible. And so uh, we can be thankful today that we can get a lot of Calvin's sermons. Denise Raganer and his service recorded over 2,000 sermons of Calvin, and we have most of them all in print. And so uh, Old Pass Publications, Banner of Truth, Arabman's, uh, P&R, all of those different companies have been uh, pretty dedicated at keeping the sermons of Calvin in print. Probably Banner of Truth is the most notable for a lot of recent publications, and I would highly recommend people to read his sermons. By the way, I must throw in there that you could get books by all of those publishers and specifically about uh, and by John Calvin at cvbbs.com, who sponsored this program, Cumberland Valley Bible Book Service, cvbbs.com. I'm sorry. Continue. No, excellent. Uh, Calvin's also known for teaching the word, and he saw that as different from his sermons that he would give uh, on Sunday or during midweek preaching services. But typically every day uh, he would go into a small building, which was to the south, uh, south of the St. Pierre, and it was called the Auditoire or the Auditorium. And there he would give lectures in theology. And again, those lectures were taken down and they found their way into many of the commentaries that we have on Scripture. He would give lectures on different uh, books of the Bible, on different theological subjects and so forth. If you go to the Baker Books edition of the commentaries, you will see in that uh, multi-volume set 30,000 pages of notes that were written down on uh, Calvin's lectures in the Auditoire. I mean, it's amazing to think about that, that over the uh, space of his ministry, he could lecture and teach that much. Beyond that, he wrote a number of theological treaties, a very important one on providence, also on the... Um, Concerning the Eternal Predestination of God, a very popular treatise called The Necessity of Reforming the Church, and then one that I've enjoyed a great deal called A Short Treatise on the Lord's Supper. But I highly recommend any of those different theological writings that Calvin put together. And then, of course, above all, is the Institutes of the Christian Religion. And uh, Calvin first started that back in 
1536. He just simply referred to it as his small book, his little book that could be hidden in a coat pocket. That was a summary of Christian doctrine, but it grew through five editions over the years into a massive four books, which typically are contained today in one or two volumes. Uh, I recommend in particular the two volume set uh, that you can find uh, uh, published in the uh, Presbyterian world with um, I'm blanking now on the translator, but it'll come to me shortly. Um, but that's a, a really good set of um, Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion that I would highly recommend. Uh, Calvin was involved in dealing with controversy. Did you know, Chris, that Calvin got into a sword fight? No, I did not. I would love to have seen that. <laughs> I know he must have <laughs> well, won. He must have won because he didn't die of a sword injury. Well, the problem was that he got into a sword fight, but he didn't have a sword. How do you like that? <laughs> uh, yeah, that that's a dangerous activity. That's for sure. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> Well, what happened is this. It was in uh, 1547. There was a conflict going on in the city of Geneva, and there were some who felt that Ami Perrin, who was the head of the city militia, had entered into a secret agreement with some of the officials in France uh, to somehow get a, a toehold in Geneva. Geneva considered itself a free city. And there was a friend of Calvin as well, who also was implicated in that. And both men were put in prison until the date of the trial. Well, at the time of the trial, Ami Perrin was released. He was, uh, by the way, part of the Libertine Party, the opponents of Calvin. And uh, this other man, Mike Gray was his name, was kept in prison. And that caused a lot of turmoil in Geneva. And one day, uh, Calvin and the ministers had gone to the city council to argue about a certain point. And on their way back, they just happened in God's providence to pass by one of the large assembly halls where the Council of the 200 was meeting. These were minor officials elected from the various neighborhoods in Geneva. And they were quarreling over this uh, injustice that... Ami Perrin was released, and, and this other man, Mike Gray, was still kept in prison. And they were ready to draw swords, and Calvin and the ministers heard the turmoil. They ran inside the building, cast open the doors, and found that everybody was about ready to do battle. And Calvin hurled himself right into the middle of the whole thing. He um, He stood there ready to give up his life for the uh, sake of uh, what was going on. And uh, he felt for sure that he would lose his life. In fact, uh, some reported that he grabbed a hold of his shirt and he ripped it open and said that if there's any blood to be drawn today, let it begin with me. And at that point, everybody dropped their swords and he began to preach to them. And uh, had a very powerful effect upon the people. 
who were ready to do battle and fight. And he brought back uh, peace into the midst of a really, really challenging time. After that, Calvin felt sure he was going to be exiled again from the city. But again, in God's providence, he was not. And he was able to continue his ministry. Have you ever heard that story, Chris? Never heard it. And I've heard many stories about John Calvin, and that uh, is a first that I've heard that one. Well, that uh, story, by the way, is um, an official entry in the Register of the Company of the Pastors of Geneva, which is uh, published by Erdman's and translated by Philip Hughes. And so we can give thanks to God that such a record like that exists. And also there are a number of letters from Calvin where he explains what happened um, when he was writing to his dear friend, uh, Pierre Viray, and also to um, other friends who he wanted to share what actually happened that day. By the way, you could get uh, books by Pierre Viray uh, from uh, Zurich Publishing. I don't know if you're familiar with Zurich Publishing. Uh, I am, and I've written written some of the promos for the, some of those books uh, on Pierre Viray and uh, also by um, Pierre uh, uh, John Pierre or uh, John Mark Berthoud. That's who I'm thinking of, who has written a number of sermons on the law of God, which are very significant and worthwhile. To read. Yes, I've given both V-Ray and the uh, book that you've just mentioned, uh, books uh, by V-Ray and the book you've just mentioned, uh, away at my pastor's luncheons, the Iron Sharpen Zion Radio Free Pastor's Luncheons, uh, thanks to our friends at Zurich Publishing who provided every pastor in attendance a free copy of each of those works. And if you mm, want... If, if and if anybody wants more details, go to ZurichPublishing.org, ZurichPublishing.org. I figured I'd throw that out there, even though they don't advertise with us. I wanted to let our listeners know about a very valuable publishing uh, organization. Can I, can I, I, I want to ask you a quick question. Sure. Uh, I used to have a small book, and uh, for the life of me, I don't know where it is now. I've moved twice at least since I last knew where that book was uh, a small book called calvin a life and the author was either emmanuel stickel gruber or stickel burger <laughs> are you familiar with the that? Uh, yeah i the uh, i think it's the best biography in print on the life of john calvin wow and i better em- find that book. emmanuel's <laughs> Yeah, you can still find copies from AB Books, uh, used copies that are, that is. But Emanuel Stickelberger uh, writes in a very colorful way. Yes. He's a Swiss Reformed uh, Presbyterian who uh, rejoiced in the doctrines of grace. It's especially fun to see the picture on the back of the dust cover of Stickelberger sitting in the library in Geneva smoking a cigar while he's writing the manuscript for um, 
his uh, biography on Calvin. Not that I'm a cigar smoker, but I just thought it was hilarious. Uh, in fact, I think the, the copy that I had did not have any longer a dust jacket. Ah. But but one of the things well, I wanted to ask you about in particular is that yeah. Stickelberger included in that book, unless I am just totally misre- misremembering this, I don't think I am, but Stickelberger included in that biography something that I never saw anywhere else in writing. And if I'm not mistaken, he claimed that he pled with Servetus to repent and, well, Servetus was in prison, and Servetus uh, did repent, and he Calvin attempted to call off the execution. Am I, may I correct in remembering that? Um, well, that's not exactly true. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you could revisit um, that book to see if I'm right in remembering well, that. It's actually a different book. Um, it's a a book by Cotier, uh, which is a very small little biography on John Calvin. And it's a very good biography. I think it's uh, Dr. Joe Moorcraft's favorite biography on John Calvin. Must be good, then. And uh, it is good, I have to admit. Uh, but the reality is that there uh, was a report, an official report given in the register of the company of pastors about the death of Servetus. And uh, it says that Servetus was condemned and was to be taken to Champaray to be burnt alive there. This was done without any sign of repentance for his heirs being given by Servetus at the time of his death. Okay. And so... That that testimony, uh, which comes from the official records of the Council of Pastors, undercuts the claim that Servetus repented at the last moment. So um, now I knew that I knew that I, I knew that Calvin attempted to persuade the Genevan authorities not to burn him alive, but that's is, correct. Is there any evidence that he even later added to that? urging to call off the execution yeah what calvin uh he served as the as it were the prosecuting attorney in the trial of servetus and again you can find a record of the entire trial with servetus's uh statements that he uttered at the trial, which were all taken down in the company of the Register of Pastors, or the Register of the Company of Pastors of Geneva. And the trial is, records are all in there. Uh, it is a, um, a very sobering read to read through the answers that Servetus gave. You begin to see the depth of the heresy and the deception that was so prominent in Servetus. He was not a person to be esteemed or lifted up as a paragon of virtue. He was not a person uh, to be lifted up as a lamp of liberty. Uh, He was a very self-focused, narcissistic man who decided uh, in his mania to take on the most accomplished theologian in all of Europe, and that was John Calvin. 
And so he wrote against Calvin. He stole some of Calvin's letters and put them into his uh, inflammatory book called The Restitutio uh, de Christianisme, or The Restitution of Christianity, kind of in contrast to the Institutes. And eventually, when he came to Geneva in 1553, a lot of people believe that he came at the encouragement of the Libertines. Servetus had already been condemned to death down in Lyon. He escaped from there before the sentence was carried out. And like a moth drawn to a bright light, he came to Geneva. Now, Calvin had actually warned him at different times to never come to Geneva. And uh, when he was discovered there, then he was immediately arrested and because the Genevan authorities uh, saw him as a real threat uh, to not only the established order of the church, but also to the entire city, to up, uh, overturn or, or make upside down all the things that they held dear. And again, it appears that the Libertines were behind the appearance of Servetus. Eventually, through the trial, he was condemned to death. And this was done at the advice of several of the other cities, major cities of Protestant Switzerland. The um, city fathers sent the notes of the trial, the record of the trial to these other cities. They all agreed that he should be put to death. And Calvin uh, sought to ameliorate the form of death which the Genevan city fathers wanted to put him to death by what they called a petite fjord, a small fire. And that would, of course, would have been terrible and miserable to suffer such a thing. Uh, Calvin interceded on behalf of Servetus that he would be simply be beheaded and it would be quickly over. Uh, but the city fathers would not listen to Calvin. And again, another evidence that Calvin was not the dictator of the city. Um, and they went ahead with the execution in October of 1553. And uh, that became a blot, so to speak, on Calvin's character and Calvin's ministry. Now, this was primarily uh, because real... of his, oppo his opposition to or denial of the Trinity and also for uh, his uh, refusal to recognize infant baptism. Weren't those the two issues? Mainly? There was a third one. There was a third one, and that was the rejection of uh, any sort of doctrine of predestination and foreknowledge, divine sovereignty of God. Okay. And so you have those three issues that Servetus sought to undercut. He was probably most well-known for his rejection of the Trinity. Right. And uh, his characterization of um, the Trinity as a uh, unholy, superstitious alliance between uh, despotic forces. I mean, he had some very colorful language. And again, you got to read the trial to realize uh, what kind of person he really was. Yeah, I definitely will. And by the way, I've also heard, and maybe you can uh, correct me if this is error, I've also heard that in contradiction to 
the portrayal of Servetus by many to gain sympathy for him of being some kind of an innocent victim, I have heard, right. I have heard, and I may be wrong, that he was calling upon for the death of Calvin. Absolutely. His plan was uh, to turn the trial against him into a litany of offenses against Calvin. And his goal, which he actually made very clear over the course of his trial, and also as he spoke with William Farrell, who came several times to preach the gospel to Servetus, uh, his goal was essentially to take Calvin's place as the uh, pastor of the church and as the uh, chief theological voice of the Reformation. That's what he thought to do. He wanted to supplant Calvin and for Calvin then to then be imprisoned and put to death. And so you're exactly right in terms of the uh, what you've heard about what the goal of Servetus was. Let me uh, take a quick question uh, from Floyd in Rochester, New York. Uh, Floyd asks, is there any way of knowing whether or not John Calvin would have agreed with the execution of Servetus if his only disagreement with Calvin was over infant baptism? I think uh, in answer to that question, he would not have been executed. He would have been exiled, uh, which was the uh, typical punishment that was used by the Genevan City Council to uh, remove people who were challenging the doctrines and practices of the church. But the issue with Servetus was much more complicated because he had written so extensively and published books, not only against the doctrine of the Trinity and the sovereignty of God and infant baptism, uh, but he had also called out Calvin by name. There was a time where Calvin corresponded with him and had sent him uh, 30 different letters. And Servetus actually took those letters, put them into his book, and then essentially uh, just took apart all of Calvin's arguments uh, with his um, criticisms and uh, his accusations against Calvin. So it was a much more serious issue. And it is a bit of a hypothetical question to consider, but I think uh, Servetus would have been simply exiled. And that was the case with several others who were not citizens of Geneva. They uh, were critics of Calvin or of the Genevan practices of the Reformed Church. And so they were declared to be persona non grata in Geneva. The reason why Floyd's question is excellent, uh, because as a Reformed Baptist myself, and I think this is right. this is very typical, I think, of Reformed Baptist experience, that our fellow Baptists who are anti-Calvinist will very often accuse us of being foolish because we would give such a high view of Calvin in the place of history because they will describe him as a murderer of Baptists. Now, he, well, first of all, he never personally killed anybody. 
but that's right. But but Servetus was not a Baptist. Uh, he, he was an anti-Trinitarian. Yeah, and there were numbers of people who came to Geneva uh, who held to extraneous, erroneous, heterodox uh, beliefs that were out of accord with Scripture. And they came with the hopes that uh, perhaps they could establish a congregation or get a following in Geneva, but they didn't really understand what Geneva was all about. Geneva had moved away rapidly in uh, 1534 and 35 away from Roman Catholicism. And it wasn't that they just became a free city that didn't believe in anything. They became a free city, which, which had embraced the teachings of the Reformation. And so when we think of the, uh, the great rallying cries of the Reformation, sola gratia, sola fide, sola scriptura, and so on, uh, that's what the Genevan church fully adopted as their position. And so anybody who is coming into town wanting to disrupt that orthodoxy was going to not be welcome in the city of Geneva. There were other places that would take them. And if they were wise, they would have never come to Geneva in the first place uh, because they should have known that there was a strong commitment to the authority of Holy Scripture in Geneva, and nothing was going to shake them from that. And by the way, we have to go to our final break right now. And if you have a question, send it immediately because we're rapidly running out of time. Chris Arnson at gmail.com. We'll be right back. Don't go away. James White of Alpha and Omega Ministries here. If you've watched my Dividing Line webcast often enough, you know I have a great love for getting Bibles and other documents vital to my ministry rebound to preserve and ensure their longevity. And besides that, they feel so good. I'm so delighted I discovered Post Tenebris Lux Bible Rebinding. No radio ad will be long enough to sing their praises sufficiently, but I'll give it a shot. Jeffrey Rice of Post Tenebris Lux is a remarkably gifted craftsman and artisan. All his work is done by hand from the cutting to the pleating of corners to the perimeter stitching. Jeffrey uses the finest and buttery soft imported leathers in a wide variety of gorgeous colors like the turquoise goat skin tanned in Italy used for my Nessie All in 28th edition with a navy blue goat skin inside liner and the electric blue goat skin from a French tannery used to rebind a Reformation study Bible I used as a gift. The silver gilding he added on the page edges has a stunning mirror finish resembling highly polished chrome. Jeffrey will customize your rebinding to your specifications and even emboss your logo into the leather, making whatever he rebinds a -a one-of-a-kind work of art. For more details on post-Tenebris Lux Bible Rebinding, go to ptlbiblerebinding.com. That's ptlbiblerebinding.com. Today at thousands of community centers, high schools, middle schools, juvenile institutions, coffee shops, and local hangouts, Long Island Youth for Christ, staff and volunteers meet with young people who need Jesus. We are rural and urban, and we are always about the message of Jesus. Our mission is to have a noticeable spiritual impact on Long Island, New York, by engaging young people in the lifelong journey of following Christ. 
Long Island Youth for Christ has been a stalwart bedrock ministry since 1959. We have a world-class staff and a proven track record of bringing consistent love and encouragement to youths in need all over the country and around the world. Help honor our history by becoming a part of our future. Volunteer, donate, pray, or all of the above. For details, call Long Island Youth for Christ at 631-385-8333. That's 631-385-8333. Or visit liyfc.org. That's liyfc.org. Hi, I'm Buzz Taylor. Chris Arnzen of Iron Sharpens Iron Radio has had a long-time partnership with our friends at CVBBS, which stands for Cumberland Valley Bible Book Service. They specialize in supplying Reformed and Puritan books and Bibles at discount prices that make them affordable for everyone. CVBBS has been a family-owned book service since 1987, operating out of Carlisle, Pennsylvania. They seek to bring you the best available Christian books and Bibles at the best possible prices. Unlike other book sites, they make no effort to provide every book that is available or popular because, frankly, much of what is being printed is not worth your time. That means you can get to the good stuff faster. It also means you don't have to worry about being assaulted by the pornographic, heretical, and otherwise faith-insulting materials promoted by the secular book vendors. Browse the pages at ease, shop at your leisure, and purchase with confidence at Cumberland Valley Bible Book Service. Order online at cvbbs.com. That's cvbbs.com. Or you can order by phone at 1-800-656-0231. That's 1-800-656-0231. Please let our friends at CVBBS know that you heard about them on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. When Iron Sharpens Iron Radio first launched in 2005, the publishers of the New American Standard Bible were among my very first sponsors. It gives me joy knowing that many scholars and pastors in the Iron Sharpens Iron Radio audience have been sticking with or switching to the NASB. I'm Pastor Nate Pickowitz of Harvest Bible Church in Gilmanton Ironworks, New Hampshire, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I am Pastor Rich Jensen of Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Quorum, New York, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Pastor Sule Prince of Oakwood Wesleyan Church in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Pastor John Sampson of King's Church in Peoria, Arizona, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Pastor Chuck Volo of New Life Community Church in Kingsville, Maryland, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Pastor Steve Herford of Eastport Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Pastor Roy Owens, Jr. of the Church at Friendship in Hockley, Texas, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. Here's a great way for your church to help keep Iron Sharpens Iron Radio on the air. Pastors, are your pew Bibles tattered and falling apart? Consider restocking your pews with the NASB. And tell the publishers you heard about them from Chris Arnzen on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. Go to nasbible.com. That's nasbible.com to place your order.
I'm Dr. Tony Costa, Professor of Apologetics and Islam at Toronto Baptist Seminary. I'm thrilled to introduce to you a church where I've been invited to speak and have grown to love, Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Quorum, Long Island, New York, pastored by Rich Jensen and Christopher McDowell. It's such a joy to witness and experience fellowship with people of God like the dear saints at Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Quorum, who have an intensely passionate desire to continue digging deeper and deeper into the unfathomable riches of Christ in His Holy Word, and to enthusiastically proclaim Christ Jesus the King and His doctrines of sovereign grace in Suffolk County, Long Island, and beyond. I hope you also have the privilege of discovering this precious congregation and receive the blessing of being showered by their love, as I have. For more information on Hope Reform Baptist Church, go to hopereformedli.net. That's hopereformedli.net. Or call 631-696-5711. That's 631-696-5711. Tell the folks at Hope Reformed Baptist Church of Quorum, Long Island, New York, that you heard about them from Tony Costa on Iron Sharpens Iron. Hi, I'm Brian McLaughlin, president of the SecureCom Group and an enthusiastic supporter of Chris Arnzen's Iron Sharpens Iron radio program. The SecureCom Group provides the highest level of security, closed-circuit television, access control, and communication systems for Manhattan's top residential buildings, as well as churches, commercial properties, municipalities, and more. We custom install exactly what you need to protect yourself, including digital recording, off-site viewing, and connectivity from most smart devices. From simple code-activated systems to the latest technology using facial recognition, the SecureCom Group has it. We also provide the latest in intercom and IP telephone systems. In addition, we provide superior networking platforms. We'll create, maintain, and secure your local network. Whether it's a Wi-Fi or hardwire network, we'll implement the latest secured firewall, endpoint solutions, and cloud backup. I would love to have the honor and privilege of helping protect the lives and property of Iron Sharpens Iron radio listeners and their associates. For more details on how the SecureCom Group may be of service to you with the very latest in security innovations, call 718-353-3355. That's 718-353-3355. Or visit securecomgroup.com. That's securecomgroup.com. This is Brian McLaughlin of the SecureCom Group, joining Chris Arnzen's family of advertisers to keep Iron Sharpens Iron Radio on the air. Welcome back. And folks, please do not forget that this program is paid for in part by my very dear friend going back to the early 1990s, Daniel P. Betafuco, attorney at law. If you are the victim of a very serious personal injury or accident or medical malpractice, please call Dan Betafuco at his law firm, Betafuco & Associates, at 1-800-NOW-HURT, 1-800-NOW-HURT, or visit their website at 1-800-NOW-HURT.COM, 
1-800-NOW-HURT.COM. That's anywhere in the United States if you are the victim of a personal injury or medical malpractice. Please don't forget to always mention that you heard about them from Chris Arnson of Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. Also, folks, if you're a man in ministry leadership, you are invited to the next free Iron Sharpens Iron Radio biannual Pastors Luncheon. Thursday, June the 6th, 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. at Church of the Living Christ in Loysville, Pennsylvania. Everything is absolutely free of charge, including lunch, and everybody in attendance is going to receive a very heavy sack of free brand new books, personally selected by me and donated by generous Christian publishers all over the United States and the United Kingdom. And our guest speaker for the very first time ever is Dr. Joel Beakey, the founder and president of Puritan Reform Theological Seminary in Grand Rapids, Michigan. If you'd like to register for this free event, if you're a man in ministry leadership, send me an email to chrisarnson at gmail.com and put Pastor's Luncheon in the subject line. That's also the email address where you can send in a question for my guest, Marcus Servan, on the pastoral role of John Calvin, chrisarnson at gmail.com. And we do have a listener, Zeke, in Terrytown, uh, Louisiana, and Zeke says, to your knowledge, did John Calvin ever become even nearly persuaded that the ordinance of foot washing should be included to the two sacraments you already mentioned? To my knowledge, John Calvin never uh, embraced or even contemplated the idea of foot washing. The... Um, Kind of the obvious reason would be that it's only mentioned in one place. So if you build a practice or or contemplate having something be a sacrament, it has to show up in a multiplicity of places in mm-hmm. Holy Scripture mm-hmm. and not just as a example of what our Lord has done. Now, none of that is to take away anything from foot washing which demonstrates the humility and the uh, tender-hearted way that our Lord cared for his disciples and made that very evident. But I, I can't remember anything in Calvin's ministry that would ever be um, even close to him contemplating that practice. Well, if you could, uh, I want you make, to make sure that uh, you cover everything that you intended to cover today. So please pick up where you left off, and we'll run. Okay. We'll let the program run its course. All right. Well, thanks, Chris. I, I I did want to say that the uh, the best edition of the Institutes that, uh, in my opinion, is in the Library of Christian Classics. It's uh, a two volume set. And it contains the four books of the Institutes. It's edited by John McNeil and translated by Ford Lewis Battles. That would be the um, the closest in English to what we're used to reading. If you get uh, some of the older editions of the Institutes, uh, it's in more Victorian type of English, which is harder for us to understand. But this one by Ford Lewis Battles is, uh, I think, the best one in print today. And you can get copies in used bookstores or online from AB Books 
or even Amazon will have uh, copies of this translation of the Institutes. I want to say uh, something just a little bit about uh, Calvin's concern for shepherding the souls of those for whom he was entrusted. He had this to write in his commentary on Acts chapter 20, verse 20. He said that Christ did not ordain pastors on the principle that they only teach the church in a general way on the public platform, but that they care for the individual sheep. They bring back the wandering and scattered to the fold. They bind up the broken and the crippled. They heal the sick and support the frail and the weak. That was his vision for shepherds, pastors, in uh, caring for the sheep of the flock. And to that mind, Calvin wrote an extensive number of letters, many of which have been preserved for us. And if you read through the letters, you get a very different impression of the man than the typical caricature that he's somehow this uh, lofty theologian who cares not for the individual trials and difficulties of people. Instead, just the opposite. You see how much he cares for people, how he wrote to some people who were in high positions of authority or positions um, as kings and queens and princes and princesses uh, to try to share the gospel with them. And then with many, many friends and associates, and you see a very tender side emerge out of his letters. He was committed to visiting the sick, not only himself, but also for the deacons and the elders of the congregation in Geneva to carry out that ministry. And it was under his watch that the Genevan church established several hospitals, uh, one for people who suffered under the plague, but also just a an ordinary hospital for people who broke their arm or they had some illness or another. Those were all overseen and run by the deacons. There was the visitation of prisoners and Calvin himself, as well as many of the other ministers would take turns in going into the jails in Geneva to preach the gospel and to pray with and to visit the prisoners that were held there. He was committed to visiting families as well as all the rural churches because uh, Geneva was more than just the city. It had, in essence, a province or an outlying area all around the city, and those had smaller churches. In fact, at one point, some of those smaller churches complained that Calvin had not done his duty in visiting some of those uh, countryside churches. By the way, brother, and, I think that we have to mm-hmm. add part three because we're out of time. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to make sure that we uh, give the listeners uh, your contact information, your websites, first of all, uh, for Reformation. I'm sorry, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Austin, Texas. Go to RedeemerPres.org, RedeemerPres.org, and don't forget about the Genevan Foundation, the De- GenevanFoundation.com. That's the GenevanFoundation.com. Thank you so much, Marcus. And I do want you to come back. Sounds like you have a lot more to say. 
on this issue. And I want to thank everybody who listened. And I want you all to always remember for the rest of your lives, Jesus Christ is a far greater Savior than you are a sinner.